And so I was really like merging in this like team facilitation and what I knew about creativity and looking at what are the elements teams need if they want to be more creative together. And then it was awesome because now I had all this research to back it up that, you know, I mean, this is just a no brainer when you look at the research and the research says we can learn to be more creative. And if we take the time to learn that and practice that and develop our skills, we will be more creative. Like it's, we've got like probably 80 years of research showing that now. Welcome to the Creative Tax Podcast with Mike Brennan. Welcome, friends, to another episode of Creative Chats. It's the podcast for artist makers and content creators, where we talk about creativity, the creative process, and story. I'm your host, Mike Brennan. You can connect with me over on Instagram. I'm at MikeBone. Or you can connect with me on my website, which is MikeBrennan.me. I would love for you to be a part of our Daily Creative Habit online community found over on Facebook. It is free. And it is filled with people who are creators of all types. And everyone there wants to show up more consistently so that they can produce better work and get that work out into the world. Whether it's for a hobby or for profession, we are creators and we need each other. And so this is a great community to be able to come alongside each other, encourage each other, learn from each other. And I want to extend that to you. Simply go to dailycreativehabit.com. You will see some resources there and you can click on join the Facebook group. I also want to point out that you can sign up for the Daily Creative Habit email newsletter. It's absolutely free. No one loves to get more and more email. Believe me, I'm in that camp too. But you certainly don't mind it when you get something of value. And that's what I believe that the Daily Creative Habit email newsletter is. It is valuable because I'm sharing all sorts of resources and ideas and creative prompts that can help you on your creative journey. So go to dailycreativehabit.com for that as well. And lastly, I want to invite you to grab a copy of my new book, Make Fun a Habit. And you can go to makefunahabit.com where I've set up all sorts of resources there as well. There is a fun Spotify playlist that is free. There are free coloring pages you can download as well as free Mad Lib types, uh, fill in the blank. Uh, I call them fun libs. And um, there are also some other resources there available for you as well as links to get a signed copy of the book in either paperback or hardcover. Or if you wish, you can also order it from amazon.com. Go to makefunahabit.com and grab your copy today. Today's guest is Dr. Amy Clymer, who is a consultant, speaker, and coach focused on innovation and teams. And uh, quite honestly, she is a delight. Um, every once in a while, you meet someone who you just click with and you feel like you could talk to for hours. Um, I am happy to call Amy a new friend. And uh, she's done an incredible job of being creative herself and then encouraging and helping others show up for creativity as well. So we have that in common and she's done some amazing things. Uh, been a TEDx speaker. Um, she has a podcast that's uh, a little bit on hiatus right now, but it will be coming back. She's in the midst of, of writing a book. Um, she has these amazing resources called Climber Cards, which we talk about on this episode. Uh, so, I mean, so much great information and inspiration in this episode. 
And I know you're going to be fast become a friend and a fan of Amy Clymer as well. So without further ado, here is my creative chat with Dr. Amy Clymer. Well, hey, Amy, welcome to the Creative Chats podcast. This is going to be so exciting today. I love it. Thank you. I'm super excited to be here. Yes. You are just, you are such a smiley person. I love it. I was saying this <laughs> earlier, but like, seriously, it's just infectious. Um, like you smile and it elicits a smile back. So um, you're bringing a lot of joy into the world just by showing up as you. So let's start there. <laughs> Thanks. I appreciate that. <laughs> yes. I, I, I do find I'm a pretty happy person for the most part. <laughs> love it. Love it. So um, I always love to just turn things over to the guest uh, out of the gate to say like, in your own words, when somebody comes up to you and they're like, hey, who are you? How are you? How are you doing? Whatever. Like, what is your, your answer to the question of like, who are you? What do you do? So I usually say that, well, I, I don't know. I always go to work, right? I mean, because mm -hmm. there's, there's, there's so much more about us, but um, that I teach companies how to be more innovative. Um, so I have a consulting practice. I do a lot of trainings, keynoting, um, coaching, but really like advising companies on how to be more creative and innovative in their work. That's awesome. I love that. And I know we're going to dive deep into that because there is such uh, just overlap and, and similarities and stuff. Um, and I want to just dive into your take on some things. And um, before we get too far into that, though, I would love to just dial things back um, and like ask you about when was the first time that you realized you were a creative person? I'm going to say I was probably in elementary school. Um, and my, I will say, I give a lot of credit to my mom. She did a great job of sort of fostering the sense of like artistic curiosity in me and my sister and brother. And we had this really cool in the kitchen, like this lower, one of the lower cabinets was just stuffed with art supplies and so we could just like, you know, open them up and open the cabinet up and make stuff. And, and I think I, I just found like, you know, especially as you get a little older elementary school, like third, fourth, fifth grade and realizing like, I loved art class. I love sort of that creative stuff, even if it was, wasn't in art class and kind of noticing like not everyone felt the same way as me. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So I think it was yeah. probably around that when I was like, when I, I don't know if I was using the words that I'm a creative person, sure. but, yeah. you know, having that realization like, oh, I like these things and not everyone likes. Yes. Yeah. It's funny because I just, I find that typically there's a point at which, and again, like you said, we don't necessarily put words to it like we would today, but there's vivid memories or experiences that we've had when we were younger that pretty much point us in that direction because it, it seems effortless. It seems natural, right? It seems intuitive to us. And those are things that I think when we pay attention to those things, we find out that we can actually lean into that on purpose with intention and then be more authentically showing up as who we are, as opposed to spending years doing things that really aren't aligned and then going, you know, I really feel like I should just do this thing instead. I, I all my life, I told myself I couldn't do this. You can't get paid for this. You can't whatever, like all the excuses. And then people go like, I finally gave myself permission to pursue that thing that I really wanted to pursue all along. Um, and mm -hmm. so examining those spots in childhood, sometimes I, I find it interesting because there can be these very, very vivid moments and um, experiences that say, here's who you are. Here's how you gifted, like pay attention, yeah. you know? So I love that. Um, 
So I'm assuming then you being that you you found yourself drawn to this as part of the pun, but um, <laughs> you you continue to push into this and said, like, I want to do more of this kind of stuff. Like, what did that look like as you got older? Yeah, it was actually more about what you were just saying a moment ago, where, you know, it, it was I, I feel like I got these like mixed messages, definitely from my mom, who I, she was a single parent. So she's kind of like the primary person, primary adult in my life. And the message was like, oh, art's amazing, crafting, yes, like do all that you want, but oh, hold on, don't do that as a profession. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like then if it, you know, if it came time, like I remember, especially in like middle school, high school, you start to get a little maybe more serious about thinking about what you want to do when you grow up, so to speak. Um, you know, anytime I mention anything about being an artist, she's like, oh no, yeah, you, you, it's really hard to make any money. You you can't make any money at that, Amy. And there was always this, this conversation around making money, mm-hmm. um, which really I understand now was probably more about like security and being comfortable and being able to take care of yourself. Um, so no, I did not go into art. In fact, I have a biology degree, uh, which I was like very interested in science. So it didn't feel like a, a huge, um, like, super uncomfortable. I, I really enjoyed that. But I never actually had one job right after college that lasted six months that was in the field of biology. <laughs> so it was <laughs> not like the field that I actually went into. Um, but it wasn't until years later that I really started like coming back to art and sort of giving myself permission to do that. Um, I'm sure like many of your listeners and guests, I stumbled upon the book, The Artist's Way pretty mm-hmm. early on. Yeah, after Julia this- Cameron. Yep. And that like really helped me shift like, oh, hold on, wait a minute. I want to pursue this more, even just, you know, personally. Yeah. Was there something that was like a a, a catalyst for you to to read that book and to kind of start entertaining those thoughts more? Like, was there like this itch that you, you just couldn't scratch or like, what did that look like? Talk a little bit about like that piece. Yeah, that's a good question. So Okay. So I finished college and I moved completely across the country. I go to work for the U S forest service and I have this like, you know, six month position. It's like, it's a temporary position. And then that's over. And I'm kind of like bounced around, have a couple different jobs. And somewhere in there, I, I landed in Portland, Oregon and like had like a place to live, a stable place to live versus like, you know, you know, like forest service housing, whatever. And one of the things I was so excited about is that I could now take the classes I really wanted to take rather than the classes that, you know, you're told you have to take in college and in high school. And one day I was in a bookshop and um, just, I don't know, just perusing around. Actually, I was in Colorado in the moment, but I was perusing around and I just stumbled upon the book, The Artist's Way and bought the book. And then at Portland, there was uh, at the community college, they had like one of those non-credit classes on The Artist's Way. And so I, I signed up for it and it was a really interesting experience because at the time I was about 22. Yeah, I think I was about 22. And I was the youngest person by 20 years in that class. And all of these other people who, you know, I looked at as really old, they're like, you know, forties to (laughs) sixties. Of course now Now I've got gray hair, but, um, they, they were just like, oh, Amy, it's so good you're in this class. It's so good you're figuring this stuff out now rather than waiting till you're our age. And I kind of got freaked out. I was like, what are you talking about? Like, I had no clue what. And, you know, as the class went on, I learned more about how 
their creative blocks had impacted their life and really in some ways harmed them, I was like, oh my gosh, it just made me even more motivated to make sure to like, you know, figure out how to get past my blocks, which really is like a lifelong thing. Yeah. Um, but yeah. So how do you, like, how did you navigate going, okay, is this a personal journey? Is this a professional journey? Is it both? Like, what does that look like? I would say initially it was purely personal. Um, yeah, I was, I had a kind of a different career track. Um, so the other sort of part of my life, um, while I was in college, I led all of these like wilderness trips on the weekend. So every weekend I was leading trips, like backpacking, canoeing, rock climbing, like taking people out in the woods and, and facilitating experiences for them. And, and this, this was through a, a program at the school. So it wasn't just me, you know, off being rogue, <laughs> <Yeah>. rogue I mean, <laughs> <laughs> anyway, so so I started getting into that as a profession. And the cool thing about that is I learned how to facilitate and learned how to facilitate really well. And, and also learned how to take like some sort of experience that might seem unrelated and help people make that transfer. Like, how does this actually impact our lives? Mm. And so that's happening. I'm doing that. Meanwhile, I'm learning more about creativity and I'm exploring art. And then I start realizing, oh, maybe I could facilitate creativity for people. And at first I was just doing it like for fun, for free, just exploring. This was probably like my mid twenties. Um, I was at a, in a grad program in New Hampshire and I started doing it as, you know, kind of part of that. And, um, just kind of over time and like watching people's reaction and like the growth that they were experiencing. It's like, this is cool. There's something here. And so slowly I, I started trying to like merge more of that into my professional career until eventually in 2009, I was like, okay, I'm starting my own business to do this full time. Nice. Yeah. yeah. So I'm curious, like, as you're developing this and, and you're taking your experiences and you're evolving, right? Because that's, that's what we do, right? Especially as creative people, as entrepreneurs, there's always that sense of what's next and the deeper level and taking the pieces that seem like they're, they don't fit together and figuring out how they actually do fit together. Um, experiences from the past, knowledge, you know, skill sets, all that kind of stuff. So as that's happening and you're then looking to actually form a business out of this, right? And and get with teams and help teams with creativity. What was there an easy entry point to that? Or or was your um what were people kind of like, well, what do we need that for? Like, you know, like how did the conversations start there and how did the doors start to open for that? Yeah, it, it was definitely not an easy entry. Um in fact initially I will say when I very first started my business, I was more focused on team development and, and team building, which is a strong background I had and leadership development. And then it was kind of, and I was, had that creativity piece in there, but I didn't know how to talk about it and I wasn't very good at it initially. And so, you know, I would talk to people about it and they're like, yeah, we don't really care about our, our people being creative. Really. We just want them to be innovative. And I would just sort of laugh like, okay, <laughs> these are not separate things, but, but I think what they thought of creativity is just art and mm -hmm. like making art. And, and then of course that gets categorized as frivolous, which isn't fair. Cause we know that's not the case, but you know, you got a tech company and they're like, yeah, we're not producing artwork. We're producing software. So it took me a long time to figure out how to talk about it. But the other thing that I did 
is from 2011 to 2016, I got a PhD and my PhD, the degree is in leadership and change, but my research focus was on creativity and teams. And so I was really like merging in this like team facilitation and what I knew about creativity and looking at what are the elements teams need if they want to be more creative together. And then it was awesome because now I had all this research to back it up that, you know, I mean, this is just a no brainer when you look at the research and the research says we can learn to be more creative. And if we take the time to learn that and practice that and develop our skills, we will be more creative. Like it's, we've got like probably 80 years of research showing that now. Right. Pretty cool. Right. Yeah. You know, it's interesting hearing you talk about that because, you know, I've, I've kind of been uh, I, in my own journey, I've had a similar experience where, you know, I had to learn how to contextualize something <clears throat> in terms of creativity. And like you said, I get into conversations all the time with people who are like, I'm not creative because automatically they're like, well, I can't draw, I can't paint, I can't sing, I can't, you know, all the, the arts, if you will, right, in quotes. And, um, and I say, well, you know, it's, that's not what we're talking about here. Like we need to blow up your, your, your definition of what creativity is and realize that everyone's creative and then figure out what that looks like for you in your skill set, in your life, in your, your wiring, and then go like, now let's lean into that with intention and purpose um, so that you can actually start seeing results of that creativity and you can stop saying, I'm not creative. Right. Um, <coughs> but the, the, um, the interesting thing also is that, you know, having to learn a, a almost like, I don't want to say a different language, but how to talk about it, like you said, in a way that the value is understood. Yeah. And so saying innovation instead of maybe creativity or um, is staying away from things that that seem like they're more like of the fine arts type of category, because people who are in business or in corporate don't see the value there. Um, and so that's, I think it's interesting and it's, I would love to hear a little bit more on like how you actually went about doing that besides the, the, the schooling and the research that you did, but like when you actually have to talk to somebody about that stuff early on, like, did you have to go through a process of like kind of deconstructing what your experiences were and the language you were using and then figure out like, okay, who am I talking to and what's the language that's going to speak to them and their needs? Like, how do you do that? Yeah, absolutely. You know, one of the things that I've done is uh, I generally, if I'm you know, doing a keynote or a workshop on creativity, we talk about the definition of creativity and that it is not about your ability to draw it has nothing to do with that. That drawing is a skill. You could build up that skill if you wanted. Um, but we, it, it, it's not something that we teach. Actually, I had this like real aha moment, uh, about 10 years ago, I was traveling and I was in India and we spent three days at this elementary school. And the first day we're there, we walk in the classroom. I'm guessing it was about second graders. And they, there was this drawing on the chalkboard of a turtle, like a cartoon looking turtle. And every kid was drawing this turtle, like, like exactly. I mean, it was, it was mm. beautiful replica of their drawing of this turtle. And it was a, it wasn't like a super simple, I mean, it wasn't like super complicated, but it also wasn't just like a super simple, like three lines, you know? Right. And it, I realized I was like, oh my gosh, of course they can do this because they're being taught this and it's probably, you know, broken down. And, and 
but we don't do that in the US. We don't teach people how to draw. And so then they grow up thinking that this is like some really obscure trait. And lately I've been thinking, well, what if we taught the alphabet the same way we teach drawing, which is like somebody draws an A three times and they're like, yeah, it's not that good. Might as well just give up. Mm -hmm. <laughs> it's like, no, like we draw like 500 A's until we get the shape right, you know? So I think one, helping people understand, like, first of all, it's not about drawing. If you want to learn that skill, you can. And then the definition I do use for creativity is creativity is novelty that is valuable. Hmm. And so when we break that down, the novelty part, you know, generally something new, different, original, unique, we're not talking about novelty shops and bad tourist destinations. <laughs> <Spencer's. you know? laughs> yeah, exactly. We're not talking about junky plastic objects, but, and then valuable meaning could be financially valuable, but not necessarily. It could be something that's, you know, provides emotional value or intellectual value, or, you know, it's just plain fun. I mean, it depends on what the goal is there, what the value is. And so when I break that down, it's like, oh yeah, we, we care about novelty that's valuable. Just didn't know that's what creativity was. Mm, and yeah. so I think help, like having that shared language, like you said, is really helpful. Mm, yeah. It's interesting because you can be talking about the same thing, but because of how you're talking about it, the words you're using, there could be a disconnect. And so trying to define things, trying to break things down as, as, as granular as you can so that there's understanding and education and kind of transfer. I think that's really key uh, in those moments. I'm wondering if you've had experience where you're leading a workshop and you're, um, you're giving an exercise that to the team that maybe on, on the surface, kind of like what you were saying before, where maybe somebody looks at this and goes like, what does this have to do with like what I do here at this company? Right. Um, but you're really teaching something deeper, but it's, it's disguised in a different package. Right. And so you're leading this exercise and you're, you're laying out the tools and the instructions, all the stuff, whatever. And you get those people because there's, they're in every room where they've got their arms folded and they're rolling their eyes hard. And they're kind of like, you know, whatever, like, this is stupid. Right. How do you address those people in the midst of all that um, so that you can try to get them engaged? Yeah, I think um, I, 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 I struggle because I have like kind of two perspectives on this. One is there's a part of me that's just like, I don't care if you don't like this. I, well, <laughs> yeah. And especially like, I don't care if you don't believe it. I mean, billions of dollars of results shows that it works. So it's up to you. Like, it doesn't matter to me. Uh, so there's a part of me that kind of comes at it a bad attitude. And then there's another part that's just like, Hey, trust the process, see what happens. Um, and often, well, and I, I guess sometimes I, I do kind of encourage them, like, definitely you should be skeptical of this. Like usually they don't know me, you know, I'm coming in just for the day or like maybe for, maybe this is more at the beginning of a longer engagement, but uh, they don't know me. So I right. think, hey, be skeptical. That's an appropriate response. And maybe just give it a shot. Um, and so usually I find that uh, if, if they're willing to just engage for a bit, then that in itself turns them around. Uh, I've yeah. definitely had people come up to me after workshops and say, okay, I was really skeptical and I I'm convinced now, mm -hmm. which is kind of cool. 
Yeah. And those are probably the people that it's even more rewarding because their journey and their what they had to do in that session was a bigger leap than what somebody else might have had to do who was much more open and closer to, you know, getting to where you wanted to go. Mm -hmm. um, so I think that that's that's a cool thing. I always love to to acknowledge that, I think, because yeah. there's nothing worse than having that elephant in the room and feeling the feeling the presence of that and yet going like, okay, we're going to just try to ignore this and move on and do what we're supposed to do because this is why we're here and whatever. Um, and maybe it's just because I'm, I'm a New Yorker and I'm like, I relate to the, the kind of um, the hard eye roll sometimes. Mm -hmm. um, <laughs> like I've been there. I've been that guy. And sometimes I still am, you know, yeah. I try not to be, but um, so I understand that. And I think just, calling I'm that like, out, you know. Yeah, I totally agree with you. I think like, I think my tendency is just like, hey, let's engage. And not in the sense of, I don't find it's helpful to get into a debate. Right. But to hear that person out. And then what's interesting though, is sometimes they come in, they're really resistant and they say what they're resistant about. And I just say, I 100% agree with you. Mm -hmm. And then that kind of throws them like, wait, you agree with me? I'm like, yeah, I agree with you. <laughs> um, and it makes me think about the, um, you know, you've probably had this experience before where you, you're in a group and then somebody just says, okay, let's do a brainstorm. I need, I have some problems. I need you know, help with this. And everybody starts generating ideas. And, you know, about the third or fourth idea, somebody says, oh no, that won't work. And they mm -hmm. just like shoot down the whole thing. Right. And when I think about that person who is shooting down an idea, 90% of the time, I believe that they mean well, and that they're saying that from a place of I'm worried that you might take this idea and go for it. And I don't think it's a very good idea. And they're doing it from this place of actually kindness and love. It, right. it just is a little mistimed, you know? Right. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. And, that, so, and that's, I think that's your, 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 your spot on there, right? It's, it's not that that is wrong. It's just that that's not the right context for it. Cause when you're in brainstorming mode, it's yes, yes. And it's, no idea is a bad idea because we're trying to get to as much as we can. Then when we're in the editing and revising stage, then you can start to bring in the, no, I don't think that's a good one. I don't think that's going to work, but it's, you're right. It's about the timing. It's kind of like when you're writing too, like yeah. you should never be writing and editing in the same pass because you'll never get anywhere. You'll just keep rewriting and rewriting and then talking yourself out of the thing that you've just written, you know? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I love it. So I'm curious, <clears throat> why is, besides the, the childhood connection, why is creativity so important to you personally? Hmm. I think there's a couple of reasons. One is I really believe that if all of us on this planet were able to live up to our full creative potential, we could solve every problem we have. And most of the problems we solve or we caused in the first place. So we're really just you know, solving <laughs> our own problems. Um, I, I really think that, yeah, in fact, I have this friend who created this beautiful film called Where There, Where there Once Was Water. And it's about the uh, water crisis, particularly in the uh, in California area. And as I watched this film, it's been a few years now, but I realized we actually have like the solutions to solve this problem. But part of the challenge is we, the, the people who are involved in this, and I live on the East Coast, so I'm not that connected to the problem, at least out there. And it, it's like, 
we have the solutions, but then all these other things get in the way, like egos and money and all these barriers that are preventing those solutions from emerging and actually addressing the issue. And I, I also see like how much when we're not able to be creative, how much that hurts us like in, on an individual level. Mm -hmm. And then those harmed humans basically are showing up at work and doing the things, you know, showing up in society. And I mean, to me, it's all connected, right? It's if, if we could be live up to our full creative potential, I just think the results would be phenomenal. Mm, yeah. Yeah. I totally agree. And, and it's true because like, when somebody's and so many people come from that place of I'm not creative and, mm -hmm. and right there, there's such a block yeah. and they're not allowing themselves to enter into the place where you are able to be more whole and show up in, in a, in a, um, a healthier way in your problem solving and just how you, how you personally show up, even whether it's work, whether it's home, wherever you are. Um, I think creativity, it really does have that base level impact on us um, and touches all the things that we touch. Right. Mm -hmm. And there's so many expressions of it. There's so many ways that um, we can harness the power of that if we really truly understood more about it. And so I love that um, there are other people like yourself, you know, and others I've had on the show and myself and just all of us talking about creativity, the importance of this and going like, you know, this, like you said before, this isn't something that we are taught at this level. And most of the time it's either people think, well, you have it or you don't like, I, I, you know, I'm good at math or I'm not, you know, I'm, I'm I can draw or I can't, you know, like the, the, it's this very binary thinking. And I think, um, when we get into these conversations and start to open people's eyes to some more potential and some more truth around some things, um, that's when people can start to see some of the changes and some of the power of creativity. So I love that. Um, one of the other things that, that I'd love to talk to you about is just how creativity has been impacting your own business and the various things that you create besides going in and helping teams, um, you're creating resources and things, right? So you have these climber cards uh, that you've created. Can you tell us a little bit about like what they are, why you created them and a little background? Sure. Yeah. So first of all, what they are is they're a little deck of cards. They look like a deck of playing cards. And on one side of the cards are 50 images. They happen to be watercolor paintings that I did actually, I think 52 images. And they're all um, like these kind of, I don't know, cartoonish kind of like iconic graphic different images. Like for instance, there's an elephant, there's a sun, a sewing machine, a tent, a light bulb, like all of these different images. And then the purpose of the cards is to increase and deepen conversation within teams. So for instance, um, if I was facilitating a group, let's say we were doing a workshop on creativity, I might lay them all out on the table, invite everyone to come stand around the cards and say, pick a card that represents uh, your definition of creativity. And then everybody picks a card and it doesn't matter what card they pick, uh, but then we go around and share which image you picked and why, or maybe we do it in pairs or trios or something. And what happens is that people say, they say different things than they would have said if I had just said, hey, everyone, let's, I'd love to hear everyone's definition of creativity. But mm -hmm. with the images, they get more specific, more accurate, more focused, and they tend to go deeper. And it's all based on, as humans, 
we communicate so much through metaphor. And this seems to be, as far as I know, maybe not 100%, but 95% universal across the planet. Uh, the, the cards have been used in about 50 countries so far. And that's like one of the cool things about it is that it works really well in different cultures. Um, but yeah, we communicate, you know, if I, if I start talking about an elephant and I'm using the elephant as a metaphor for something, it can just like speed up how quickly I can explain something to you. Yeah. Yeah. It's pretty much creating a visual language, right? Um, and these yeah. things become not just pictures, but they're icons, right? Because they represent other things and thoughts, concepts. Um, so I love that you've, you've, you know, created this resource for people to be able to talk about things maybe that they wouldn't be able to get as granular about. Um, I'm wondering, how did you land on the specifics of what's on the cards? <laughs> well, I'll first say this concept of these like metaphor-based cards, I did not come up with. This has existed in the world, as far as I know, for many, many years, decades. And so the, maybe about 2011, I had created my own deck that I was just using for myself. I was facilitating these groups and, and, and they really, honestly, Mike, when I look back at them, they were really bad. <laughs> they weren't really well drawn. They were just like laminated, you know? Um, and, but anyway, the images were on there were, I tried, well, let me, I'm jumping ahead of myself. So anyway, I'm using these cards. They're not that great, but they're working. And a friend of mine is one day, she's like the client, basically. I'm working with this group that she had. Uh, and we do this like amazing, we have this amazing conversation because of the cards. And we kind of got like, like unpeeled this layer with this group that was really awesome. And later she said to me, Amy, those cards you use are really cool. Have you ever thought about doing something with them? And honestly, I had not. I, I had just made them for myself. And then I started thinking more about it, like, oh, what if I were to make these for other people? And then I got really intentional about the images and tried to pick images that were either like common metaphors or I thought could have multiple meanings to them or, you know, and, and I also wanted images that people would understand cross-culturally, mm -hmm. um, you know, that they, and I, I was also very, very careful of like, I didn't want to get into cultural appropriation, which there were some other decks that I felt were kind of edging into that space. Um, yeah. So that's kind of how they came about and why the images are what they are. So how has that like, because it's been a while since you had the original deck, right? And I love that you, know, you, you confess and you say, you know, they weren't really that great. Um, but that's a that's a testimony to launch the idea, ship the work, right? Um, and then if you need to do 2.0, you do 2.0, but like, at least get something out there. Um, how has that evolved and, and iterated over the years? Uh, okay, so the first deck that I created, uh, I did not use those really bad images because they had all been laminated and, and they were really bad. Um, but I, so I decided I redrew all of them. I redid them all and I launched them on a Kickstarter campaign, which was a really cool experience in part because it was a great way to test. Does anybody want these? Mm -hmm. Like I didn't want to spend thousands of dollars getting them manufactured if and then like, you know, I have a pallet of cards in my garage, like that, yeah. that would be bad. <laughs> so that's, I think one of the cool things about Kickstarter or something similar to that. So anyway, the cards got out there 2012, they were launched out into the world. And I actually right now, um, have a second deck that's coming out and I don't know when this will air, but the deck will be 
shipped out, a bunch of pre-orders will be shipped out on December 11th, 2023. So a couple more weeks from when we're recording this. Um, and I'm really excited about that deck. And it's interesting to see the two decks of images. So the second deck, the images are the same concept with images on one side. And the drawings, like my drawing skills have evolved a lot over the 10 mm. years. And so it is like the deck one is just, they're more simple, kind of more uh, less shading, whereas like deck two, the images have a little more depth to them. And those, I mean, literally deck one, I, some of them I, I painted with like Frank watercolors, you know, like the 99 cent deck of watercolors oh, yeah. you get at the <laughs> Michaels or wherever. <laughs> yeah. 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 Anyway. Well, it's great though, because, you know, you use what you've got, right? Um, and then you you just go up from there. Um, with these cards, like it, what's, I understand that the, the, on the side there is, is um, you know, an image and, and the artwork. Is, what, is there something on the other side, like a question or something or? Yeah. So on the other side, um, that's where the decks really differ. On deck one, um, there's like these, I'll put them up with the camera, but I know most people are going to see them, but there's like these images, these uh, shapes in different colors. And then there's a number one through 10 inside the shapes. Mm -hmm. And so the purpose of this is that if you have a big group, say you have 50 people, everybody has a card and you say, get into groups with your same number or your same color or your same okay. shape. And then yeah. it's a quick way to get groups into, you know, get five groups or 10 groups or whatever. Um, and then the new deck, deck two, the flip side are emotion words. And they're in bigger letters in English and then it's smaller print in Spanish and French. Hmm. So, and that's just a great way to, you know, I, I think for the most part, we have a pretty limited emotional vocabulary. And so, you know, you ask somebody like, hey, how are you doing? I'm good. I'm fine. Yeah. <laughs> Busy. Like those are the three words you hear. And and the same thing, if you ask even a more in-depth question, you know, if you ask a team like, hey, how are you feeling about the project that we're working on right now? And they often have a pretty limited response. And so mm -hmm. the emotion words just give a bigger vocabulary and help us be more accurate. Yeah. Yeah. Love it. It's another layer um, mm -hmm. to help people and give resource. So that's so cool. Um, do you have thoughts on like how else this can be implemented or where else this could go or other iterations of this of the climber cards yeah uh i well it's funny it's, I, just, I have so many ideas like so many ideas for like additional decks of cards um but i can i share with you this just happened this morning yeah, i'm, I'm yeah. just like buzzing with happiness uh this this woman i know actually i don't even know her that well but she uh finished her phd in the same program i did but about 10 years before me and she lives in Kenya right now doing some humanitarian work. And she was having an issue ordering climber cards on the site. So we were emailing back and forth. And she was telling me that she's been using them for a couple of years there. And that she works with these women doing a leadership development with women there. And she said in this email today, she said, your cards have helped many of our women who have lived with deep and pervasive trauma to begin to seek healing. Mm. And I read wow. that this morning when I woke up and I, I mean, I just like tears sort of started filling my eyes and I love like hearing this. And there are so many ways people are using the cards in, in ways that I did never even imagined. Yeah. And I certainly yeah. had, did not imagine that they would be used in Kenya in this way. 
Yeah. And, oh, I'm like getting chills. <laughs> wow. That's, that's amazing. I love that. Um, and, and you know, that's, that's true creativity at work because it's not about you. It's not mm -hmm. about your drawings. It's not about, you know, your product and all the stuff. It's about something you created that you released that turned over into the hands of other people and they brought their things to it and mm -hmm. it took on a new life. And like, yeah. that is true creativity. I love that so much. Thanks. Yeah. I'm excited mm. about it. I love it. So cool. So cool. Um, so uh, we're kind of getting towards the top of our time here, but I do, I do need to ask you something else too. Right. So, um, leading workshops and, um, having products and speaking. Okay. For speaking, uh, you you're someone who who wouldn't just like if you went on a little rant or something or whatever and said thank you for coming to my ted talk um that's that's actually true <laughs> right so um what was that experience like for you uh speaking at a, at a tedx right and like it, i know that tedx you know in ted talks you have to boil it down basically what to like mm -hmm. under 20 minutes or something right mm -hmm. um can you share anything about that experience that maybe was um, that people wouldn't know uh, mm -hmm. and that was valuable for you? Yeah, it was the process of developing that talk was super helpful. I mean, I, yes, I had been at that time. So the talk came out in 2018. And at the time I had been keynoting for a few years. And so I wasn't, you know, I, I was somewhat comfortable being on stage, still get a little nervous, but uh, I was super nervous the day of my TEDx talk. Oh my gosh, it just felt like this whole new level. And, but the process leading up to it, well, I should say first, I it was the first time I had ever memorized a talk. It, it just wasn't my style. I, I'm i you know, pretty comfortable. I would have slides, but they were just more cues. And, and so the first time I really had to memorize it, for one, like you cannot go over 18 minutes. It's really important. You can go under, but uh, so I didn't want to get too rambly. And so one day I, I had this great aha moment. I was, it was maybe about a week or so before the talk. And I was at the point where I was just in this memorizing mode and I'm in this office that I'm standing in now, except the office was under construction. So I built this space. It's a space in my garage. And so the framing was up and the insulation was up, but there was no drywall and I just needed a quiet space. So I'm out there in the, the room and I'm, I'm practicing. And I noticed like, I would just sometimes lose my, lose my place. And I'm like, what, what was I saying? Where was I at? And I realized every single time I did that was when I started thinking, am I doing okay? What is my body language doing? How are my hands? Like as soon as I started thinking about myself and worried about how I was doing, I would lose my place and I would just get flummoxed. And I was thinking about, um, well, anyway. Okay. So then what I decided to do is I, I realized like if I just keep it about them, it's going to be fine. So there was like, you know, on insulation or wall insulation, there's that paper, that brown paper. Mm-hmm. So I took a Sharpie marker and I drew all these little faces <laughs> on the brown paper. <laughs> it's like this little like audience, you know, and I'm standing there in front of the brown paper, <laughs> the insulation. And I'm just, you know, and as long as I could focus on the audience and like, just think like I'm here to serve them, then everything went fine. 
Mm-hmm. And as soon as I started thinking about myself, it just went to pot. And uh, <laughs> so that was a really big aha. I was just like, no, it's not about me. It's about yeah. them and like providing and serving. And um, so that was a cool moment. Mm, I love that. I love that. Um, <laughs> that's so funny about drawing the people. I'm sure you're, you're probably on stage still seeing the brown paper with the people drawn. <laughs> I know. I always think like someday I'm going to move and someone's going to come in and rip out the drywall <laughs> and then they're going to see that. Oh, that's so great. That's so great. <laughs> well, thank you for sharing that. That's a, that's that's awesome. That's kind of like a different take on picturing people in their underwear in the audience. So you're not nervous, right? <laughs> yeah, that, I don't get that. That's going to make me super nervous. Yeah, that's weird. <laughs> like, I don't want to see that. <laughs> that's a whole new level of therapy. Um, <laughs> yeah, that comment, I think, is just done like more harm than good, for sure. Right. <laughs> Uh, that's good stuff. Well, um, where can people find you? How can they get a hold of the climber cards? Lay some links and stuff on us, if you would. Sure. Yeah. If you're curious about climber cards, you can go to the website, which is climbercards.com. Uh, climber is spelled C L I M E R. So there's no B in it. Uh, if you're curious about the work that I do around creativity, you can go to climberconsulting.com. Um, yeah. You can also look up my TEDx talk on YouTube. Um, you know, just do a search for TEDx Amy Climber, it'll show up. It's all about uh, the power of creative creativity and teams. Hmm. So love yeah, it. I love, love to, it, love, love. yeah, I love to connect. Oh man. And I know, you know, the audience, uh, this is a creative chat podcast, so it's all about creativity. So the more creative stuff that we can have in our conversation, I think the better off we'll be, the more people we can link arms with, um, you know, I always say it's it's community over competition, um, oh, especially totally. with creativity. And um, you never know where you might be able to collaborate with somebody or, you know, just be generous and um, open. And I think that's when we can really start to see some things happen that wouldn't otherwise. So totally agree. I want to thank you so much for this time. Uh, every time that that I mean, we haven't met that many times, but uh, over Zoom and um, but I know when I when I connect with you, I always walk away feeling like just smiling and um, just to put, put bookends on our episode <laughs> here, um, smiling and just feeling encouraged and feeling a kindred spirit. So thank you so much for this time today. Oh, thank you, Mike. It's really nice to be here. And I feel the same way. I'm, I'm smiling, not because I have to, but because it's just so fun to talk to you. Thanks for listening today. I'd appreciate it if you would subscribe, leave a rating and a review. It really helps this podcast be seen and heard by others.